0: The passage today is out of Proverbs. The first one is 11.4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. 11.23 through 28. The desire of the righteous ends only in good, the expectation of the wicked in wrath. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. fifteen, sixteen through seventeen. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. twenty one and seventeen. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man, He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. 37 through 9, two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and profane the name of my God.
1: Now, why is this a worthy question to ask this morning? how we steward God's resources. Why is it worth spending time talking about our resources, our money, our possessions, our stuff, our material things, and how we steward them? Well, there are some some realities in the Bible, uh, some really statistics that come out of the Bible that are are fairly eye-opening. And I think speaking to why this is important that we talk about, 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus speaks are concerned with how to handle money and possessions. In the Gospels, one out of 10 verses, 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. And more than overall, more than 2,000 verses in the Bible speak towards money and possessions. So the reason we're going to talk about it is because God deems it important to talk about. He spends a lot of time in his scriptures talking about your possessions and your money. And the question that we're asking how to steward God's resources, there's two parts to this question that are worth understanding. Number one, they're God's resources. The Bible makes it very clear that we don't own anything, that everything we have from money to possessions to house to cars to gadgets, everything belongs to the Lord. And the second is how do we steward if it doesn't belong to us, then we're not owners of it, but we're stewards of it, meaning we're managers. God gives it to us as a gift and says, I want you to steward this or manage what belongs to me for my good and for my glory. So to do this well, we're gonna look at, that come out of the Proverbs, three perspectives that are critical that the Proverbs speak to. And that is stewarding God's resources from a, an eternal perspective, from a relational perspective, and from a heart perspective. So let's start with, eternal perspective. Proverbs eleven four. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Now, what is this speaking about? The day of wrath refers to the day that Jesus Christ returns. That's his second coming, the day that he comes and judges the world, ushers in the new heavens and the new earth. And so it says in that day, when Jesus returns the second time, that riches will not profit, but righteousness will. Righteousness being the, the righteousness of Christ that is yours by faith, right? That is, that is uh, accounted towards you. That if you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith, that that will profit you on that day, but that riches won't. Now, let's ask the question, how specifically does it, do riches not profit you in the day of wrath? Let me give you two, two reasons here. The first is this, on judgment day, your money, your possessions, your stuff will not shield you or protect you from God's wrath. The very things that that you and I look to in life to protect us and bring us comfort and to shield us are the very things that when Jesus returns and brings in the new world will not shield us and will not protect us. And I think the second reason why we can understand that riches don't profit on the day of wrath is that the, this proverb speaks specifically to uh, how the future impacts or shapes the way that we handle our money and possessions now. And by that, I mean, when we talk about the future, specifically with money and possessions, we typically have a this life future at some point. Usually it's end of career. End of career, i.e., retirement, last portion of my life. That's the future that I'm I'm running to or looking to when it regards my money and possessions. You remember this was years ago. I don't know, maybe five decade ago. I don't know how long it was ago. But I N G. You remember that commercial where there would be people walking around the city streets carrying a number. You know, it was like a um, like at least a seven figure number. You know, big millions and millions of dollars. You know, and, and at the end of the commercial, it said, "What's your number?" And the point was that when you get towards the end of your life, end of your career, retirement, what, what number do you want to hit, right? So you're set for the rest of your life. What's the goal? What's the number, right? This proverb speaks into a, a different future. Not, not, a, not a future that is just at the end of your career, that's, that's planted in this world, in this earth, but it speaks of, the day that Jesus is returning to usher in a new heavens and a new earth it speaks to a future that lands in the new world, in the new heavens and the new earth. And so Jesus picks this up in Matthew chapter six. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust, or or on earth where moth and rust destroy. He says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Jesus is laying out two futures. He's referring to this earth, meaning a future that would land somewhere in this world, maybe the end of your career before retirement. And then he's laying out a future that lands beyond this world into the new world that he's bringing, the new heavens and the new earth. And so Jesus lays out these two futures. And and here's the key. The future through which you process your money and possessions is going to affect whether you give freely or you hoard. Let me say it this way. If if your future through which you process your money and possessions lands at the end of your career for retirement, for the last part of your life on earth, then you're gonna be inclined to hoard, right? To reach that security at the end of your career. If your future is in the new heavens and the new earth, that it's planted securely in the new world, then you're gonna process your money and possessions and you're gonna be more inclined to give freely because your security is locked up in Jesus in the new world to come where there'll be no want, there'll be abundance, there'll be no lack. You see the difference on where you plant your future. And so when we talk about an eternal perspective, we're talking about a perspective that has the future and everything that you're processing with money, stuff, and possessions lands in that future new world. Paul says it this way in uh, 1 Timothy 6, 7. He says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. We brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. It means this, you come in naked, you leave naked. Uh, there, there are, now, let me make this point. The wealth that you have now will not determine your wealth in the new world, the new heavens and the new earth. There are people right now living under a bridge and who will be living under a bridge when they die who are gonna be wealthy in the new heavens and the new earth. And by wealth, I mean secure in Jesus Christ with abundance and, and no lack, right? It's the reason that you'll never see a U-Haul attached to a hearse. You'll never see that, Why? Paul says, we come in naked, we leave naked, right? We come in naked, we leave naked. And so how do we see this hoarding versus giving in the Proverbs, right? Because the Proverbs speak to it a lot, hoarding versus freely giving. Look at Proverbs eleven twenty 24. It says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Now, this verse makes no sense. It's an absolute paradox. It says that if you give freely to someone or to a ministry or a church or a charity, if you give freely to someone else and deplete your own resources, that you'll become richer. And you scratch your head. That makes no sense. Makes no sense. And the converse, if you withhold and keep everything and don't give, that you'll grow poorer. You see, it's a paradox. Here's what it's speaking into, right? How can you give freely and grow all the richer? Well, the only way that you can give freely to others is if your security is locked up in Jesus Christ and the new heavens and the new earth. That's the only way that you can freely give is if your security is not locked up in some point in this earth or this world or your life that it's locked up in Jesus Christ, that he has abundant provision for you in the new world. There will never be any lack. And so when you have that reality, you give freely and you grow richer because to do that, you have to be leaning into your security in Christ. And the converse is true, that if you're leaning into your security in this life, a security that you're defining at some future in this world, your tendency is gonna be to hoard, right? To not give freely, to lean into your own security and away from the riches of Christ, and so you become poorer. See, this is a richer poorer verse about where you're at with Jesus Christ and your trust in Christ and His provision. You all familiar with a hoverboard? What a hoverboard is. Maybe you have one. Maybe you ride around the mall with it. I don't know. It's a, It's one of those platforms with two wheels on it. Okay, and you stand on it. It's pretty simple. You lean forward it moves forward. You lean backwards, it moves backwards. Here's what doesn't happen. If you lean forward, it doesn't go backwards. If you lean backwards, it doesn't go forwards. If you're leaning on your security in Jesus Christ, and your security in the new heavens and the new earth, where there'll be abundance and no lack, if you're leaning on that, you will move towards people in radical generosity. But if you're leaning on your own security, your own security and away from the security of Jesus Christ, then you will move away from people and not be generous and hoard for self. See, the, the whole eternal perspective here is where are you leaning? Are you leaning into your security in Christ? Or are you leaning into your own security? And that's going to affect how generous you are and what you do with your money and possessions. So how do you steward God's resources? First, through an eternal perspective. Second, from a relational perspective. Relational perspective. Look at Proverbs 15, verses 16 to 17. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Now, this proverb describes the possession-rich, relationship-poor condition. Possession-rich, relationship-poor condition. Now, there's two relationships that are described here. One is fear of the Lord, which is reverence for the Lord. It's describing your honor and your reverence and relationship to the Lord. And then where love is, is describing our horizontal relationships, our love for one another. I'm going to speak about the, your relationship to the Lord in the last point. More so. I want to focus here on love for one another, your horizontal relationships. Let me, let me paraphrase, if you'll allow me, paraphrase verse 17. Here's verse 17. Uh, Better is a dinner of ramen noodles where intimate relationships of love exist than a steak dinner at Ruth's Chris with relational dysfunction and emptiness. Now, there's nothing wrong with a dinner at Ruth's Chris, okay? Nothing wrong with that. The point of the proverb is this. If you are pursuing money, if you are pursuing riches, if you're desiring riches and wealth, it is going to increasingly drive you away from people. It's going to increasingly isolate you and bring you to a place of relational emptiness. That that's what the pursuit of of wealth does. Uh, Paul in 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 to 10, he says it this way. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money. And we're going to expound on this, not money, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. In those verses, the ruin and destruction that that Paul says your love of money will plunge you into, that ruin and destruction is described several verses earlier when it describes envy, dissension, and slander. Now, all three of those are describing relational dysfunction, right? Envy, dissension, slander, those things that rip people apart and leave you relationally poor. And so Paul's saying, if you're going to pursue money and pursue wealth and desire to get rich, know that it's going to leave you relationally poor. That it's going to leave you isolated. That it's going to leave you empty. And notice here that money and possessions is not the problem. And I'll say this several times. Money and possessions is not the problem, or not the problem. God gives that as a gift. It's the love of it. And we'll get to it more in the last point with a heart perspective, but it's the love of it that presents the problem. Let me ask you two questions that I want you to think through when we talk about this relational perspective of, of money and possessions, of resources. Do you see your money and possessions as a means to security, pleasure, and power, or Do you see your money and possessions as a means to bless others and love others? Those are two very, very different perspectives. That you view money as security, power, pleasure, or do you view money as a way to bless others and love others? Look at Proverbs 11, 25 to 26. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered the people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. That holding back grain, that was something in ancient Israel that grain sellers would do when there was a time of shortage. They would hold back grain to jack the price up. And so basically we're exploiting people in an area of basic need. This is agricultural metaphor here of of watering, watering grain, grain growing. Uh, My wife and I, this was probably three weeks ago. We, we got some seed, a little seed pack from Lowe's, had the kids pick out their little seed pack, which flowers they wanted to see bloom. And then we, we, we planted the seeds in, in three pots, two in the front porch and, and one in the back patio with the kids. And we, we put the seeds in the soil. And then every day we'd walk around with a cup of water and they would pour the water on the soil where the seed was. We do that all three pots and, and lo and behold, in a couple of days, we see green sprouts coming out of the ground. Paul, the, the, the Proverbs are using this imagery here, right, to ask this question of you. Do you see your money and possessions like water that is poured out onto people for their growth and for their good and for their well-being? Is that the, the perspective you have on your money and possessions, is this is like water to pour onto somebody that they can grow, that they can, that they can experience well-being and good, right? That's the relational perspective of stewarding God's resources. Uh, Jason Brown, you may know the name if you're a sports fan. He was the, the highest paid uh, NFL center in the league back in 2011. He played for the St. Louis Rams when they were Rams were still in St. Louis. And uh, highest paid center, had like a $37.5 million contract. And he would have, and he described his life then as I had a a wife, I had two children, I had a mansion and two fully stocked bars in my house. And he would go on to say, though, that his relationship with his wife, that he and his wife were, quote, dying inside, that their marriage was relationally poor, full of poverty. And he was a professing Christian. And he would, he would confess at the time that his relationship to Jesus was not much more than a ticket to forgiveness. And he was dying on the inside until he, he, he lost his grip on money and football. He actually, he walked away from it. He started by, in his house, he, he, he was pouring out thousands of dollars of expensive liquor in his bars. Um, and, and then he, he left the Rams he had three other offers. He had an offer from the Baltimore Ravens, another rich contract. He walked away from it. He and his wife, it's a fascinating story, bought a 100-year-old farm in North Carolina with a dairy, a dairy barn and 1,000 acres of land, and he started farming, and he learned how to farm on YouTube. And he gave away all that he grew. He gave away to, to food pantries and to people, to bless people with food. And, and he'll tell you that has never been happier doing that. I'm, I'm sharing that with you, right? To see a picture of what it means to use your resources to bless people, okay? Now you don't have a 37 and dollar contract. You can't go buy a thousand acres in North Carolina in a dairy bar. I understand that, okay? So don't, don't go there and say, I don't have that money. That's not the point. The point is he just, he had, the Lord transformed him to see that I'm gonna use my resources, right? To bless people, to love people. He actually, his farm, he, it's called First Fruits Farm. And he's established an organization through service and community and, and the food that, that promotes biblical literacy. He, he's, he's blessing others and loving others. So how do you steward God's resources? There's the eternal perspective from the eternal perspective from a relational perspective, and then finally, a heart perspective. Look at Proverbs 21, 17. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. At the core, and this is the core of it, At the core of stewarding God's resources, your money and possessions, I say your, it's God's, but what you have is the affections of the heart. What do you love? What do you cherish? That's at the core of what stewardship is. It's what Jesus describes in Matthew 6 after he says, don't store up treasures on the earth, but store up treasures in heaven, right? Those two futures he lays out. Verse 21, next verse, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That your money and possessions will simply follow your heart. That what you love, that what you cherish is what is gonna control your heart. You know, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's not the organ beating in your chest. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about that that control center of life out of which you make every decision out of which every thought comes. And Jesus says that where your treasure is, what the treasure of your heart is, is where everything else will follow, including your money, including your possessions. We've already said it, but money's not the problem. Possessions aren't the problem. Love of money is, and you have to take it a step further. Why do you love money? Because money buys you something. Right? And so the, the, if you look at how you spend your money, it's a good indicator of what's going on in your heart. If, if you, uh, if you're hoarding money, it may very well be that you love security too much. If you're, uh, if you spend extravagant, extravagant dollars on vacations and video games, and it may be that your heart loves pleasure too much. Uh, if you spend extravagant money on clothes and you have five million wardrobes and closets, it may be that your, uh, your heart uh, loves what other people think of you too much. Or You see the point that what, what your heart loves, your money, your money is gonna follow, your possessions, your, your stuff is gonna follow. So what's the solution? Look at Proverbs 30, verses seven to nine. Two things I ask of you, Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Notice that the author here, he's describing two situations he wants to avoid. Right now, on the surface, they seem completely different but understand they're rooted from the same place. He says, keep me from riches that would make me forget you, Lord, and keep me from poverty that would make me steal and profane your name. In other words, keep me from riches or poverty that would that would cause me to be independent of you and not need you, and be in control of my life, and be independent, and call the shots, and have no dependence on you, or back to my illustration about the hoverboard, No leaning into the Lord, right? Only leaning into self. That's what's being described here. Two situations that can leave you independent of God. And that's what this author of of, of the Proverbs says, keep me from that, Lord. I don't want to be independent of you. I want to lean into you. I want to trust you. And I want you, Lord, to feed me what is needful for me. Reminds me of John chapter six, verse 35, when Jesus says, come to me, come to me and you'll never hunger. Believe in me, you'll never thirst. Jesus says, if you come to me, you will never thirst. You'll never be in want. You'll find all the fullness that you need and all the food that you need in me if you'll come to me. Do you realize that promise that Jesus is speaking to you? And believe it, that if you you with earnestness come to Jesus, that he will fill you in every possible way. He will fill your heart. He will give you life. You will never buy with your money what Jesus can give you in himself. Let me say that again. You will never buy with money what Jesus can give you in himself. Never. And the new heavens and the new earth is the fulfillment of all that when you will be face-to-face with Jesus and be full in every possible way. And Jesus says, there's the answer to our money problems. It's me. It's a relationship with me. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus redefines wealth. He redefines wealth. He left glory. He left riches. He left absolute wealth in heaven, came to a dark, broken, poor world, lived a perfect life, raised from the dead, ascended back to the Father in glory, and now at the right hand of the Father has everything in his hands. And that's why he says, if you'll come to me, you won't go thirsty. You won't go hungry. I own everything and I have everything and I long to fill you. And so stewarding God's resources happens from a, an eternal perspective, a relational perspective, and a heart perspective, perspective. And all three of those come together. And let me close with a story of a man where we see all three of those come together. His name is uh, Richard Stearns. He's actually the president of uh, World Vision, which is a Christian relief organization. And he describes one of those transforming moments in his life where the Holy Spirit got hold of him as regards to his money and his possessions. It was 1987. Now I'm dating, dating quite a few of you, but some of you will know 1987. That was the year that the stock market crashed uh, like it had never crashed since 1929. And Richard Stearns describes that day when in one day, one day, he lost one third of his life savings and he lost his, his kids' college uh, education fund. And it, it rocked his world. He went into to mourning and he was in anguish and in anxiety. He was staying up late in the, into the midnight hours, you know, looking at his accounts, writhing over what to do, And uh, he describes the one night he was doing that and his wife walked in, Renee. And this is what she said. She said, honey, this thing is consuming you in an unhealthy way. It's only money. We have our marriage, our health, our friends, our children, and a good income. So much to be thankful for. You need to let go of this and trust God. And his response was, no, I'm not going to let go of it. It feels good to be in control of it. I'm going to writhe over this. I'm responsible for our family. I, I, it's my job to worry about this. Right? And then uh, he says that she suggested that they pray. And he honestly confessed. He goes, I never thought of doing that. But you understand that. When, when, you're, when you're in control of something and you got your hands on something, prayer is that ultimate act of surrender. Prayer is that surrender that says, I, I can't control this anymore, right? So he had his hands all over it, writhing, and she said that. He says, no. Well, finally, he, they prayed together. <laughs> and then at the end of the prayer, she says this to him, which shocked him. She said, now I think we need to get out the checkbook and write some big checks to ministries we support and missionaries and our church, and we just need to write checks. And he he about blew a lid, but he knew she was right. And so he said that night, he says a beautiful thing. They started writing checks and putting it in the envelopes and addressing the envelopes and stamping them. And he said, the biggest wave of relief came over his soul because this, this, spell, so to speak, that money had on him was released. And what I want you to see is all of those perspectives, right? he, he had to lean into his eternal security in Christ to say, "Yeah, we'll write checks. Who cares that I lost a lot of income? I, I'm secure in Christ. The relational perspective, we're going to use what we have, what's left and bless others." And then that heart perspective of feeling that release of the slavery that he was under because he was leaning he was leaning into his security in Jesus Christ and the wealth he had in Christ and in Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. So I leave you with a question. How are you stewarding God's resources that he's given you, whether you have a penny or whether you have millions? The amount is not what God is concerned about. God is concerned about how you're stewarding it. And are you stewarding it through that eternal perspective of leaning into your security in Christ? Are you stewarding it from that relational perspective of, I want to use what I have to bless others and to love others? And from that heart perspective of, I love Jesus and I want Him to feed me. And I know that my money can't buy what Jesus can give me in Himself. Let's pray. Father, this is such a difficult topic because to some degree, every one of us is convicted about how we use our resources, how we hoard our resources. And yet, we thank you for the beauty of the gospel that you don't just tell us to get into shape and start being generous. That you put your son Jesus before us and remind us of all that we have in him and the security that we have in him and the comfort that we have in him and the promise that in the world to come that there will be no lack in an abundance. Thank you that you give us Jesus. And then out of that, our hearts are unlocked to give freely of our money and of our possessions and and the things you have blessed us with so that we in turn can bless others and like watering a seed in the soil that we can use our resources to water others, to water them with what is good and, and, and well for them and ultimately pointing them to Jesus. So Father, I pray that you would root us squarely in your Son, and that we would go to him and not be hungry, and that we would go to him and not be thirsty. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.